If you turn your Bibles, the reason that we came primarily this morning is to study God's Word. Amen? That is what we are about as a church as we turn our attention now to chapter 17. I don't know how many of you have studied the the prayers that are found in Scripture. There are all kinds of them. We have Nehemiah's prayer and Daniel's prayer. We have Isaiah's prayer and Job's prayer. And Paul prays several times in his epistles. But John chapter 17 is the one and the only time in all of the Bible that we are allowed to listen in as God the Son and God the Father talk to each other. As Jesus himself begins to pray, this is the one and only, the the Lord's Prayer, certainly our Father is almost a model for us to pray, but this is intensely personal. It is the prayer of a lifetime. From my perspective, it, it is the absolute grandest prayer in all of Scripture. It allows us some insight into the prayer life of Jesus that we have not yet seen, nor will we see again. These are the final moments before Jesus is going to be arrested. This is the last hour before that happens. He's going to be dead in less than 24 hours. And so what would Jesus say to his father the final in-depth time before he'll make some statements from the cross? But in the moments prior to his arrest, we get to listen in to a heavenly conversation. We're going to divide this up into two parts because of the length of the passage here and the depth of what is contained within them. There are really four things primarily that I see in it. We'll draw two this week and two next as we listen in. Kind of the holy of holies. It's as if you could go to heaven and sit off to the corner. Probably exactly what the author John did. He's with Jesus, but Jesus stops somewhere en route to the garden and prays to his father. Would you join me and we'll pray that we'd be able to hear this prayer from a heavenly perspective. Father, we, we thank you for allowing us to listen in. That you, by the Holy Spirit, caused John, the gospel author, to write down these words that were the words of your son speaking to you in the final moments before his arrest his way to the garden as he takes time to commune with you. Lord, would you help us to grow, glean from these words. Lord, move our souls to closeness with you. Bless us. Lord, instruct us, encourage us, strengthen us. Lord, if there's someone that's come that wonders whether they matter to you, would they be encouraged today? We bless your name. Speak to us through your majestic word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, 
the hour has come. Now, if you remember multiple times, Jesus said, the day has not come, the hour has not come, my time has not come. Repeatedly, over and over, he said, it's it's not yet time. And now, he says, the hour has come, it's here. Not only the day, not only the hour, but the very time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And I want you to see the intricacy with which the Father and the Son are involved in your salvation. The Father has given to the Son, and the Son has saved those whom the Father has given. Both pieces working in absolute harmony, empowered by the work of the Spirit. And he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so the plain statement of prayer from Jesus the Son to God the Father, Father, when I was with you before the world was, we shared the exact same glory. But Jesus set aside that glory to come to this earth. And he took upon himself the form of a man. And while he never sinned, he was in every sense human. He was hungry, he was thirsty. He wept. He was concerned. He got tired He even became angered over sin. God the Son left the beautiful glories of heaven to come to this earth for us. It's mind-boggling. I can't even imagine. The glory that he left In verse 6, Jesus continues in this amazing prayer. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. And I want you to notice something, the use of the word given. It's the exact same word as the word gift, by the way. Had God indeed gifted mankind to his son? That you are so precious in the sight of the Lord that God would consider you a gift to his son. If you've ever wondered about your value, if you've ever considered whether you have meaning or purpose, so much so do you matter to God that God gifted you to his son Jesus. That means he took time. That means it has purpose. 
That means out of all the things in the universe, Father God didn't turn over stars and galaxies to his son as a gift. He gave you to his son as a gift. You matter to God. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. And now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me. And they've received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus is praying for every single believer, past, present, and future. He is I am. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Ever wondered whether there's anyone on this earth that's actually proud of you? Jesus is. As flawed as we may be, as many faults as we may have, the Lord loves you with an undying love, and he is actually glorified in your life. Even the simple things, the fact that you've expressed by faith that you love him. Don't forget these things, family. You see, the enemy's going to try and steal your salvation. He's going to try and rob your joy. He's going to try and remind you of who you are in your flesh. But Jesus here is praying to Father God of who you are in the spirit. And you are precious to God. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be, may be one as we are. Would you please underline that? God hates division. God literally hates strife. He can't stand it when we who have been the redeemed by grace through faith somehow make issues out of things that are not issues in the eternal. They're only issues in the temporal. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying or what scripture intends. There are things that matter to you and matter to me. And God understands why they matter to you and matter to me. But eternal things are eternal things. And what matters to God is that we are one as he and Jesus are one. And that means the preeminent thought in every Christian's mind is I am saved by grace and we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. It should be preeminent above everything. Above all that we are, all that we possess, everything that we're born into. Christ is first. 
He is central to our thinking and to our existence. And so the Lord Jesus here as he prays to God the Father before he's about to give his life a ransom for you, says, Father, would they be one as you and I are one? Monumental truth. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that Scripture might be fulfilled. And so Jesus, speaking to his Father in this passage, as we listen in, gives us this incredible prayer. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think that Jesus was almost a victim in all of this. Very often in the cinematography of our day as we watch movies about what happened that fateful night, we almost get the sense that Jesus was just hapless and helpless. Nothing could be further from the truth. For this purpose, Jesus came into the world that he should give his life a ransom for many. And what he's saying here is there, there is none lost that you've given me, Father, not one. And I want to look at a handful of things in this passage. You see, there's a difference between the world and its system and the enemy and the children of God. There always has been and there always will be a difference between the world and God's kids. The world hates you. The world hates me. The world hates God, and the reason it hates you and hates me very often is because it hates Jesus. Hates what we stand for because we stand for him. And so see these things as we journey through this prayer and see the progression of this prayer. And while we'll cover much of this next time, you'll notice that Jesus first prays for himself. Work's done, Father. And by that work, what he simply meant was, I I came to do these things which you gave me to do to testify of who I am. Because the world would be questioning, well, who are you? Where are your papers? Where's your degree? We, We don't know who you are. And so the testifying miracles of Jesus Christ How many thousands upon thousands of people now wandered the region of Galilee and Judea? Going, I was there when he fed the 5,000. I I knew the the widow at Nain's son. I saw the little girl when Jesus said, Talitha kume, little girl rise. That man that he healed that was blind was truly blind. I knew him for 20 years. That withered hand truly was withered. I saw it become normal. The man who couldn't walk really couldn't walk. I helped carry him. You see, all of those things Jesus came to do and say were now finished. 
everything that was necessary, what you and I have recorded for us now in writing in the form of the Gospels forms the backdrop of what Jesus is saying here. I finished it. He will then pray for the disciples. And in doing so, he begins to pray for us. And finally, looking to the future, this prayer ends with the the church and the world, us today. As he contemplates the glory, it's the reason I believe the writer of Hebrews there in Hebrews 12 begins this way. He says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded say, by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight, every sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. If you take Jesus out of the picture, there is no Christian faith because he is the Christ. Amen? That's a problem for a lot of people because a lot of people just simply want to believe in a supreme being, a God. And yet Jesus says, no, I am the way. And I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. And maybe that's too narrow for some. But Jesus says, it's me. I'm the way. In that sense, we share his life. And I want you to notice something here. Jesus says, I was with you, Father, before the world was. Jesus was not an afterthought. So those cults that purport that Jesus was an afterthought, one of God's many sons, or the Christ ideal, or some mindset that one can have. No, Jesus Christ is God's own son, and he is also God's only son. And he existed before the world was. He was not an afterthought. He was not a response to Adam's sin. Jesus was always the way and the truth and the life. And there was never another way for anyone to come to God the Father except through Christ the Son. Jesus is making that clear. I love what Ari Torrey says about self-prayer. Because Jesus is praying for himself. You ever thought about that part of this passage? Jesus is praying for himself. If Jesus prayed for himself, why are you not praying for yourself? Amen? Sometimes we almost think, well, it's selfish. No. If you want to be intelligent biblically, pray for yourself. Because you know how much you need it. Amen? Oh, man. My name's first on my prayer list. I'm sorry. Y'all are after that. It's like, Lord, help me stand in these evil days. Lord, keep guard over my mouth. Lord, watch over what I think. Lord, help me. I want to glorify you. The very same thing that Jesus is praying. That's my prayer. Lord, don't let me do something that will not bring you glory. Or the converse of that, don't let me shame you, God. Pray for yourself. 
Jesus' burden was the glory of God the Father. That should also be our burden. And when Jesus speaks, he's speaking, of course, from the divine point of view. He knows what's about to happen, but he's still in the human body. That beating is going to hurt. Those stripes are going to tear him apart. The nerve endings you have in your back, he had in his back. Do you understand? And he's asking God the Father, I want to glorify you in every stripe. Father God, when they beat me, would what I do bring you glory? Have you ever thought about that part? As Jesus is being tried and beaten and crucified, his prayer prior to that was, God, let me glorify you. Man. I, don't, I, I, I really don't even know how to respond to that type of selflessness. I know how I would have prayed. Lord, can I miraculously not feel a single one of these stripes? Could somehow they miss my back? Lord, could the nails like be rubber and not actually go through? That's how we would approach the cross, amen? Make it easier, Lord. But that is not what Jesus prayed. He's going to pray, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And make no mistake, God the Father could have stopped anything and everything. Could have done everything differently than we have recorded in Scripture. And yet, it was for the chastisement, for our peace, that those stripes were laid to his back. Incredible. We share in that life. We share in that sacrifice. And some say, what is eternal life? Because the finished work is eternal life. That's what Jesus had before he got here, amen? He came from heaven. It's eternal. He went back to heaven, eternal. He said, I want them to be one as you and I are one. Guess what kind of life that is? That's eternal life. That's not some kind of glorified human existence that's less than. It is the same eternal life that Jesus Christ himself has. That's why in John 3, we have the plain statement, you must be born again. Because you have to be born again unto eternal life. You were born to temporal life. When you came into this world, you were born the first time, but you need to be born a second time. And here's why we know this. It's not just quantity, as in it lasts forever, but it's also in quality. You see, you could last a long time and still be really messed up without Jesus, amen? We can kind of see that in the patriarchs. They lived a long time. What did they do for a long time? They messed up for a long time, amen? Because they were not yet perfected. But eternal life includes the righteousness and the holiness, the beauty, the wonder of God. 
And so that is the eternal life that you have. And you have that already, by the way. You will experience it in its fullness when you get to heaven. But it's already yours. It's a gift. God gave it to you. And it comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can can I just tell you this? It's not by organization. You don't have eternal life because you belong to some group. You have eternal life because Jesus Christ himself died for you personally on Calvary's cross. That's the only reason you have eternal life. Because his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the price for your sin, erasing your sin. You now have his righteousness by faith. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You were created for good works in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of yourself. You can't boast about it. But you have that eternal life through a personal relationship with the one and the only Savior. And in that sense, it's not religion. And I know many of you understand religion to be something uh, that is associated with your Christianity. But religion in its classical definition is a system whereby people do things that represent how they believe. You're not saved by religion. You're saved by the grace of God through believing in Christ Jesus by faith. It is grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that saves It's not religion. And so what you have, just as Jesus is saying, Father God, you gave them to me, and I'm giving them grace. I'm allowing them to come to know me personally. Have you ever thought about who it is that you know personally? There's a wonder, you can read it later. But there in Exodus chapter 3, we, we know God personally. Think about it. Here's Moses. He, he's, he's faced with this incredible dilemma. The children of Israel spent 400 years in slavery. And here's Moses, not exactly a really great leader. He's kind of one of those guys that you would have passed over if you were looking for someone to be a powerful dictator. He just wasn't that kind of guy. But he had a heart after God. And so finally in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, we see Moses before this burning bush. It's like, God, what am I going to tell them? They're not going to believe a word I say. What does God say to Moses? He says, when you go to the people, you tell them, I am that I am hath sent you. Do you realize that that actually became Yahweh, Jehovah? That became God's name. That's how the Jewish people related to God. Y-H-W-H. They wouldn't even pronounce it. It's I am that I am. So when Jesus repeatedly said, I am, 
I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I, I am the living water. He was saying, I am that I am. Which to the Jewish people meant this. Because it was the word or the verb, in essence, to be in past tense, present tense, and future tense. And so when they would utter the holy name of God, they wouldn't say it, they would spell it. Meaning, I am all that you would need in the past, I am all that you need in the present, and I am all you will ever need in the future. That's the personal Christ that you know. That's who he is. It's what his name is. is he, even his name, Yehoshua, means God is salvation. So Jesus is saying, look, you know the personal God. It's not religion at all. It's relationship, Amen. You actually get to talk to the creator of heaven and earth. The one who knit you and formed you in your mother's womb. The one who's known your days from before there were any. The one who has counted the hairs on your head and knows there's nine of them. That one knows you personally. And he is all you have ever needed. He's all you will need today. And he is all you will need in the future. He is, I am. That's who you know. That's who's praying for you in this. And that family is why we are safe. Because my safety depends on him. Look, if my safety in Christ depends on me, I am a dead man. Amen? If my safety in Jesus is on my works, I'm toast. There are a lot of things I would like to tell you that I'm super victorious in, and there are. But there are still a few rough spaces in every one of our lives. Amen? Amen? I don't know what yours are. I know what some of mine are. I don't like when people mock me. I think bad things about them occasionally. It's like, no, I'm not okay with that. I don't know whether it's my history in martial arts. I'm not sure what it is. But there's parts of me that wants to put a roundhouse right upside their head. I don't like that. But you know what? God doesn't like the fact that I want to kick him in the face either. (laughs) So I have to suppress that by the power of the Spirit. And praise the Lord, I haven't kicked anybody recently. (laughs) But it doesn't mean I haven't thought about it. And the thinking about it is not okay with God. You see, if my safety was me never thinking things, because God can see what's in your heart, amen? Amen. How safe are you if it's just what you do and or think? There isn't a safe person in this room if it hangs on that. Not one of us are going to heaven if it's about works. For by the works of the flesh is no one justified. That's why Paul said it. 
would it, would it bring glory to God if he kind of sort of almost saved us? Think about it for a second. If we, well, Jeff, you almost made it to heaven. I'm really sorry about that. You know, but man, you and this whole thing of what other people think. Can't have you here in heaven. If it's about that, none of us are saved. You see, but it's not. What God starts, he completes, amen? He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus, amen? Why? Because you have the same Jesus that's praying this prayer for himself and for us in heaven right now interceding for you. He's praying you home. Did you ever think about that? Jesus is saying, man, Jeff, he needs extra help today, Father. It's Sunday. So when he gets up, his mind is going to, you know, your dogs go crazy. The neighbor's dogs go crazy. The, the cats and the they're, they're on the wall harassing the dogs. So the dogs are, I'm like, would you guys just stop? Can't you see I'm trying to study here? And Jesus is going, okay, it's time for the dogs to be quiet. He's interceding. We're never alone. How safe, how secure. And think about your position in Christ. As Jesus prays this prayer, because we're together, because we're one, because everyone is saved the same way, because we're all going to live in the same heaven, the very nature of God begins with, for God so loved the world. Amen? How secure are you if God loves us knowing who we are? Think about it. God loves you, loves us, and he knows exactly how we are. Your little mind games you play with your friends, they don't work on God. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows why you're thinking it. He knows those thoughts before you do. And yet, for God so loved the world, all of us, that he sent Jesus. That's pretty secure, isn't it? Because if it had been about performance, Jesus would have never come in the first place. But God loves us, so Jesus did come. What about the nature of your salvation itself? It's not of works. Amen? It's not what you do for God. It isn't you wake up every day, the Holy One has arisen. (laughs) Think about it. When you get up, God goes, oh no. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because you know you. You know, maybe 85, 90% of your day, you're doing good with the Lord, but there's that 10% to where it's like, I don't know who he is. It's a free gift of grace through faith. What about the nature of the glory that you're going to have one day? Can I tell you whose glory it's not? It's not yours, it's not mine. 
It's not us as people. It's the very glory of God. It's his power. It's his might. The only reason that you're free is because you're free indeed in him. Amen? It's his glory. And so the powerful nature of the very prayer that Jesus is praying here is this. If Jesus is praying for you that you would be kept until you get home to heaven, who do you think can snatch you out of the Father's hands? Absolutely no one. Amen? That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, or powers, not things present, or things can come. No high thing, no low thing. No created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. powerful prayer and you are safe in his arms and the only thing the Lord asks us is don't be a Judas don't be a pretender be bold about your faith and be real admit your faults let God change you amen would you stand with me Worship team's going to come back out. I, I just want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never received that free gift of grace. But perhaps the Lord was speaking to you. Maybe you came and you come from a history of religious work. You, you, you come from, it's what you do that makes you well-pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe that's you today. If you bow your heads with me right now and please close your eyes and give those an opportunity who may need to do some business with God to do so. If you're here today and you're saying right now, you know, I'm not sure I know this Jesus, but you want to. He wants to know you. And he's offering you the free gift of salvation right now. All you got to do is believe it and receive it. If you're here today and you'd like to commit your life to Christ because you've never done it before, I want you to simply raise your hand right now, right where you're at. I want to pray with you. Before we leave, I want you to know the peace that I have, that we have, most of us have in this room. Anyone at all. You're here today and you're saying, I don't know if I died right now where I'd be. But you want to know because you can be secure right now. That's you, just slip your hand up. But it's no one, we just want to make sure. Father, we believe that because no hand was raised, that those that are in this room know you. Who would pass up such an opportunity? But Father, if there's someone here who just couldn't quite put their hand up, but Lord, they want to know you, I would pray by your amazing grace, you'd reach into their lives, into their hearts, and by grace through faith, you'd give them that gift of faith to believe in your name, to receive eternal life right now. Father, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. 
Jesus, we glorify your name. We praise you. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for your continued work in heaven, interceding even now for each of us. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen.